this is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willard for letting us use his music at our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. All right, well, all right, our team finally made it back to the orbiting library of goodness. Brick Boy, what's our status? Well, Captain Ceviche, I put the sparkle glove in the status, so Solar Mistress won't be able to destroy our system again. Yeah, so Brick Boy places the artifact into the glowing beam of the stasis chamber near the rod of glowy power and the cybermantle cape. Uh, I, for- I forgot about the cybernetic cape. Dr. Meme Lord almost melted the minds of the entire city with that last year. Yeah, that was right after Dr. Troll came for the blow up City Hall. Remember? We had to fight him and his spam bots in the subway. Yeah, I don't actually took a lot to prepare. And after Dr. Meme Lord's plot, we had that Zeppelin heist against Dr. Dino Goddess and her Biceratops drones for control of the country. I do love me a good Zeppelin heist. You know, our area has a lot of evil doctors. That might be why Captain Ceviche has such a hard time getting his eye exam scheduled. They're all out doing evil doctor stuff. Well, at least we have to deal with the doctor when Mechanica tried to use the rod of glowy power to destroy all non-robotic life on Earth. Yeah, that was a real mess of an adventure. Not one of my better ones. Yeah, it was good. It's true. Hey, it was Brick Boy's idea to seduce her into joining our side. Hey, it worked, didn't it? Uh, did you remember that you had to reschedule your date with her when the Solar Mistress uh, tried to blow up the sun? Damn it. No. And the restaurant I was going to take her to got destroyed by the sentient solar flares. Well, at least now things have quieted down and you can take time to reschedule the date. And just then, the trouble beeper goes off, signaling an important message. Crap. I read it. Big boy's going to call Mechanica's phone. Mechanica picks up as Captain Ceviche decodes the message. Here, read this over while I deal with Brick Boy. Mechanica picks up. Hi, Mechanica. Sorry about skipping on our date, but uh, I was wondering, are you free tonight? She says, yes. I was hoping you weren't just trying to avoid me because of the whole, you know, destroy organic life thing. Crap. Brick Boy, we got a boogie. Nefarious General Dragon Mechstar Blaster is trying to assemble the Spear of the Cosmos so he can drain all the mines in the entire galaxy. This never ends. Mechanica, um, I have to rain check. The entire galaxy's at stake. And with that, welcome to the 430th episode of the Mystery and Mark podcast. Tonight we examine Chasing the Curve, where your games keep escalating and escalating. How to make the best out of that at your tables. Along the way, we'll take your question comments, and examples for the chat room for life before drifting to the after show. But first, my name is Jerry. My name is Phil. And I am Old Man Logan. Welcome to the Misdirected Mark Podcast. And as per usual, let's do a temperature check, see how everybody's doing before we head into the lobby. Phil, how are you feeling? Physically feeling fine. Um, got a ride today, so actually got some exercise and some fresh air, so that was nice. Um, you know, mentally, I'm back at work. Into the uh, the infinite grind. So, uh, yep, I'm here. Yeah, when work becomes a meat grinder like that, it can be, it can be really hard. <laughs> Hopefully, things will settle down. Mm-hmm. Sometime in June, maybe. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep you going until then. It's only two months away. We'll try to get you there. We got you. As we say in my office, just remember, the light at the end of the tunnel is just another train coming down a different track. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. All right, Jerry, how about That's you? Uh, pretty good for the most part. Um, I'm, uh, I, I've am i got 
out today, so my, my I've been lo- hobbling along everywhere. And that with the extra weather has been causing me to have um, a lot of allergic reactions with dry eyes and the whole thing. So um, part of the course for me for spring, I normally get gout about once a year, lasts a day or two. Um, normally because I don't drink enough water the day before. But I'm doing pretty good. And uh, other than that, things are moving forward. We've had a very, very busy, busy week at work. I've had to reschedule more than half of my staff twice now. But uh, they're all doing jobs they want to do that are going to be profitable for them. So they're all very happy about it. It's just been scrambling everybody's schedules. And tomorrow we get a new temp coming in who will hopefully become a permanent member of the team. So I'm looking forward to that. So look it up. Uh, how about you, Bob? Cool. Um, I am physically doing pretty good. Um, my my foot is starting to act up. I it, I realize it's been six months since my last shot. So I got to go get a needle stuck in there, take that arthritis okay. pain away. Um, okay. Otherwise, not too bad. And mentally, um, it's been uh, it's been pretty good. Uh, Valheim's been basically keeping me keeping me afloat for uh, for the past couple of weeks successfully. So chugging right along there. All right, let's jump on in then and start with the one thing I um, have right along since this pandemic has started been uh, doing various levels of retail therapy. And I'm about to have a retail therapy bonanza as a whole bunch of stuff is starting to come due right around the same time. Kickstarters that are going to fulfill and orders that I pre-ordered and stuff. I got a whole bunch of stuff that's going to start showing up in uh, the rest of April and into May. So that's going to be interesting as I'm bringing a whole bunch of crap into the house as my housemate gets ready to take a whole bunch of crap out of the house. (laughs) So it's going to be fun. How about you, Jerry? Um... I've been examining old school games. Two things came up. One was um, after looking over uh, the Companions books, which I talked about last week, um, I looked at an old game system called Thieves Guild, and uh, which I have quite a few of, but I was missing one or two that weren't on PDF. So I managed to get a couple of them. And they were very, very old, early 1980s games that focused entirely on rogues. And every book, book is a different style. So one is about um, like a, a mystery heist at a... At a Noble's Manor, one is about being bandits, one is about fighting pirates, and so on. So those were kind of fun. And um, we also talked about the early days of GURPS with Man to Man, and I examined that game system as well, um, which I loved. It was very, very simple for its time. It was one of the first games that got me kind of writing my own rules for things because it was meant to be not quite a complete game. And so we filled in the gaps on stuff as we once we got past the first couple hack and slash adventures and tried to do new things. And so it, it's a lot of fun. So I've just been examining all that and looking at it and um, remembering. Like examine some man to man stuff. Yes, from exactly. time to time. <laughs> well, the big thing that I liked, two things I liked about it were it was deliberately designed to be the precursor to GURPS. And they said so flat out like this $10 book that's going to give you very basic rules, only a few uh, perks, no flaws, rules for like seven races and two monsters, and some maps encounters. This is just the base game. But we're using this game to fund what will become GURPS in a couple of years. And in there, they had a little proof of purchase. When the GURPS game finally came out, in the GURPS game, there was a a little um, thank you card that said, if you have your proof of purchase from Man to Man, send it in with this, and we will give you a gift certificate equal to the value of Man to Man, because you shouldn't have to pay for the same game twice. And this is just that game again. And it's the money you gave us when when you basically had faith in us to do the original game that let us make this. And so if you had man-to-man, you could then basically get it back for free. They gave you the money back. And they also had a coupon in there that was buy two, get one free on their Cardboard Heroes, which were at that time three bucks a pack. 
So if you dropped another dollar ninety seven into the thing when you got your your gift card back, you could buy um, four sets of cardboard heroes, which then became six. And basically, with that, gave you enough to get orcs, kobolds, goblins, skeletons, monsters, humans, elves, dwarves, bandits, undead, dragons, giants, all at once. It was just a really nice way to. It was a starter game that gave you so much stuff to play with. And in the mid early eighties, it was a lot of fun to kind of build your own kind of world out of that. And cool. uh, it was it was a nice way of how I'd like to see game companies work. Um, and cool. So it just it was it was very fun and. The game is very 80s, but still a lot of fun. How about you, Phil? Uh, yeah. Um, I went to my parents' house um, this weekend for Easter. So uh, everybody in both houses were vaccinated, um, minus the kids, of course. But um, everybody was vaccinated. So we figured it was uh, relatively low low risk. And the I think the CDC also agreed with their recent guidance about uh, being able to see people in small and close settings if you're all vaccinated. Um, so that was nice. We drove down, um, spent, uh, four days, four, eh, three and a half days, um, spent three and a half days there, had some delicious food, um, did a whole lot of not much, uh, which is kind of par for the course at my parents' house. So I didn't really do anything. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was it. So it was nice. It was nice to see them. I hadn't seen them since August. Um, which I thought was only, I, I thought I was like, well, oh, we've seen them recently and realized it hadn't been till August, but I don't really have a perception of time outside of work. So, uh, yeah. So it was good. It was a nice trip. Good. Yeah. I'm hoping to be able to see my parents in the not too distant future. They've both now gotten their, uh, their vaccinations. They got the one shot J and J. No, house, house Johnson house and Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. So that's cause they were able to get to Wegmans, right? Um, honestly, I'm not a hundred percent sure where they went, but, but they did get out and it's, got it's, them. It's been my experience so far that the pharmacies and, um, you know, pharmacies and grocery stores and stuff seem to be stocked with J and J. The state sites seem to be, uh, loaded up with Pfizer. Mm-hmm. And that well, probably makes sense because the J and J is an easier to store vaccine. The Pfizer one requires uh negative 20, uh, yes. freezers. I think yeah. negative 20 or more. I forget. It's it's super cold because uh, yeah. you got to keep that RNA. You got to keep that RNA stable. So, um, so you know, the state sites tend to be, you know, bigger. So the yeah. more, uh, what you call it, they have the freezer capacity. Yeah. Like they bring the freezer capacity for those things. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's jump into the feature segment then. Get ready for our new workshop. Phil, is your voice ready? Uh, yeah, good. All right. Workshop! Workshop! You're chasing the curve! Next adventure's gotta be better than the current adventure. The one after that's gotta be better than that until you can't take it anymore and you blow up your whole campaign. Let's not do that. Let's talk about how to stop chasing the curve in the workshop. Don't suck. Don't suck. All right. So tonight's episode came up in our discussion last week, but it's not a topic that we've been tossing around for a bit. We're gonna look at something called chasing the curve, which Phil is gonna define in a moment. In our usual manner, we're gonna talk about what it is, the problems you can create, and how to manage it in a way to make it work for you. We're going to end the segment of the roundtable discussion where we share our own thoughts and experiences. All right. So, Phil, to get us started, what do you have in the way of definitions after this? Behold, you are in the presence of Devon Panda. Righto. 
So tonight we got a few definitions to cover. We'll start with the title. Uh, def- we'll start with the definition for the title of the segment, Chasing the Curve. Um, so Chasing the Curve uh, means to have your next experience of an event exceed the last experience you had. Uh, an attempt to outdo yourself each time that you do a task. Uh, my first encounter with this phrase was through uh, st- uh, was through the graphic novel Sunstone, um, and it was you know done uh, in the context context of uh, of kink, um, and it was basically meaning that each time that you did a scene, you tried to outdo the previous scene. Um, and the reason that it's called chasing the curve uh, is because at the beginning. Um, no matter what it is you start, it's easy to it's easy to outdo the previous um, the the previous event, right? So uh, when you're first starting, it's easy to outdo yourself the first one, two times, whatever. Um, but as you go over time, it gets harder and harder to outdo yourself because you kind of run out of either things to do, tricks, or whatever, and so you have to go from uh, relatively simple to like really complex and sometimes like to the absurd to keep outdoing yourself. Right. So um, that's the idea of chasing the curve. Does that make sense to you guys? Cause the rest of this segment is predicated on that definition. Mm-hmm. I think we'll be good. Okay. Yeah. All right, cool. Then we, we also need to, since we were throwing around, throwing around the word curve, we need to uh, separate that out from the idea of a power curve. Right. Power curve is the description of the progression of how much power a character has through the course of a game. Right. So like in, for instance, D&D, which is, you know, a game that has a um, a very distinct power curve. Right. D&D characters start at first level with low hit points. They don't do a lot of damage. They have very few spells. Right. They're super fragile. Um, But then, like, over time, they get better and better in all of those uh, in all of those things, right? And we call that a curve as well because how a game regulates that determines how fast characters go from, you know, their starting point on the curve to, you know, and progress through the curve, right? So, um, you know, it could be like, and I'll just, I'm not going to break this down because this could be its own, um, this could be its own garage episode. But for instance, um, in 5e, everybody's on the same power curve meaning that everybody progresses from level to level um at the same rate because you progress on one experience uh table and across the board each of the classes are relatively balanced from level to level go back to uh go back to ad and d when experience points were different per character class mm-hmm. um and that was the way they kind of regulated power level um back then instead of instead of equalizing them across levels um if you were a fighter it was relatively easy to progress in level but you also didn't really progress that much in power other than getting some extra attacks whereas a wizard like had to get like a a shit ton more of experience to progress in level but after that magical tipping point i think we all you know i don't remember where it is for a dnd the wizard becomes stupid powerful in the game it's fifth level. Um, what's that? It's fifth level. So it's when you get fireball. Yeah, I don't. I, I, I wasn't sure if that was true in AD and D. It certainly is in three and, yeah. and stuff like that. Anyway, that is so. That's a curve as well. Um, and we and I mentioned that because power curve plays a little into this chasing the curve thing. So it's kind of important for us to understand um, the difference 
right? The power curve is the actual mechanical part of the game. When we talk about chasing the curve, we're talking about what the GM is presenting in terms of adventures and stuff like that. We'll get into that a little bit more in a second. Uh, and then lastly, we just want to define pacing, um, right? Like the actual, you know, um, dictionary definition for this, right, is walk at a steady and consistent speed. In RPG, we mean to progress a story um, at a um, at a constant speed. Um, and steady might be the better word, at a constant and steady speed, um, rather than kind of like blowing through storylines super fast, right? We want to pace these things out. Pacing is going to be a big part of what we're going to talk tonight. Yep. Cool. All right, Jerry, how does chasing the curve arise in RPGs? Well, first of all, chasing the curve is something that's possible both in campaigns and in one-shots, but it's a much bigger danger in campaigns. Because in a campaign, chasing the curve arises when the GM tries to top the previous session of the game by making it more exciting than the last one. This can happen in a few ways. Now, this is by no means a complete list, but here are some of the ideas on how you can have a problem with chasing the curve. Yeah, so opposition is one of them, right? You can just keep making the opposition tougher and tougher or m more and more rare each session. Number two is the location. You can start making the locations more challenging through environmental factors and obstacles. Uh, next one is stakes, right? You can just keep raising the stakes of, of a story um, to larger and larger stakes each, um, what you call it, each story. I'm in favor of larger stakes, but my gut will go along with that. <laughs> anyway, uh, props, props and effects. Um, if you just keep getting more and more elaborate props and effects that make the game more enticing as the, as the campaign goes on, that could be uh, another type of chasing the curve. So what we're going to say, though, is that none of these things are necessarily issues alone, but let's be hyperbolic and look at a case where we try to raise the stakes every single session to see what happens. Sure. So we'll start out with session one in our fictitious um, Star Wars, uh, Star Wars game, uh, where our in our session, we have an encounter. It's a gun battle with a few stormtroopers in a cargo bay um, in order to in order for our players to steal a power converter for their ship. Uh, that's that's a pretty that's a pretty standard encounter. Now, session two, uh, we up the stakes a little bit because now we're having a fight with a whole squad of stormtroopers. And we're on a moving monorail in order to stop a bomb that's heading directly to Rebel, Rebel City. And the GM has put out a map and minis and a little and a little flat cardboard monorail that can slide around on the table. The basic stuff out there immediately. Monorail. Uh, yeah, so session three now, because we got to outdo our session two, right? We're going to do a fight with a squad of stormtroopers and ATST and Darth Vader. Uh, all of that's going to take place on a Star Destroyer that's exploding. Um, that the players need to crash into the latest planet killer device that the Empire is working on, because that's what they always work on. Um, and in this case, we've got like this 3D model of the like breaking apart Star Destroyer that we've got minis on and we've got um, we got LED lights in the room and we've timed it to a soundtrack um, so that as we're playing, like the lights change and the songs yeah, change as well. All of that. And then, of course. By session four, the GM's going to have to pull out all the stops to try to stop top session three. And if you're playing weekly or even bi-weekly, this is going to become an issue within the first couple of months of the game. So um, what I want to say is that all this can become a problem if you do it too quickly and let it escalate. But it's also possible to chase the curve just when you're making a one-shot. With one shot, the urge is to make each one-shot more egregious than the rest for the next. So this can come about when somebody's at a regular game day or if you're at a convention. Some Jews want to top the last game they're at, a, at an event in order to exceed people's expectations. And this is going to create a slightly different set of issues for a GM making one-shots, but it's still going to become a problem. 
So where does this need to chase the curve come from, Phil? Yeah, right. So now we're going to get into like a little bit of a, a little armchair psychology, right? So it, it's a thing that you wind up feeling, right, as a GM. Um, and by no means are we um, mental health professionals in any respect. Um, but we are all GMs. And uh, I think we probably have all suffered from this at one point or another. So we're going to just speak from experience and we'll do some hypothesizing. Take this with a uh, grain of salt. Uh, so, so part of this one is experience seeking, right? And this, like, so in the kink community, this is absolutely where, um, this is absolutely one of the causes for chasing the curve, which is, um, if you are a newer GM, uh, you get so excited that uh, in running the game that, uh, every session, you just want to try more and more things, right? And you just like, you're, you're so excited to be playing that, like, you just want to try as many things as fast as you can, right? So you like, you know, cool. We, you know, I did this encounter. Now I want to do a bigger encounter. Now I want to do a dragon. Now I want to do minis. I want to do, you know, I want to do 3D models. I'm going to go buy all this stuff. Like, that's the experience seeker, right? Like, that's just the the enthusiasm of um of you know wanting to try to experience all of it so quickly. Um, also, in known king community as a frenzy, right? So that happens as well. Um, lack of experience is another reason, right? This comes from just the lack of understanding of story pacing and beat structure. Um, right. So this is the idea that if, uh, you know, it just faster is better is always good. Right. I think according to the chat room, this might be the Zack Snyder model of, uh, of GMing. Um, but you know, again, and we'll get to, we'll get to talk about pacing later in the segment, but, um, if you don't really understand how, uh, pacing and beat structure works, um, you could just be spamming the speed button, right? Faster, 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 faster. Mm -hmm. uh, next one could just be ego, right? I mean, look, sometimes GMs have egos. I certainly did in my youth. What? No. Um, I, you know, I was probably ridiculously um, egotistical GM in my younger days. Uh, some people just want to show off, right? They just want to be, they want to be known as the great GM. Um, so they just, you know, it's gotta be bigger, better, more fantastic, uh, every time. Uh, and the other one is peer pressure. Um, so, you know, the other part of this is like, if you've watched other GMs run stuff, you know, like for instance, you watch, you know, I, I mean, I certainly felt this the first time I ever saw, um, Savage Worlds GMs running one shots, right? Like I run one shots with like a, you know, flipboard and a marker and it's, shitty looking and i draw you know terrible maps and put like you know glass beads on it and these fuckers show up with like full-on terrain yep. you know pieces and, you know so yeah yeah fucking like you know they got like leds in it and glowing and smoke machines and shit coming out of it um so there's definitely like peer pressure plays a role in this right like you wind up seeing how other people are running stuff and you think to yourself like i need to top what i'm doing here to kind of keep up with the Joneses. Like mm -hmm. I don't have cool minis. Like, you know, I don't have cool minis like Jerry. I better go buy some minis. I don't have terrain pieces. You know, I better go buy some terrain pieces, those kinds of things. Right. So peer pressure is definitely uh, a factor in this as well. All right. Then just always, just always know that as long as you paint at least one mini, you'll have more painted minis than Jerry. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Next. I'd All like right. to talk about problems. I think we understand that chasing what chasing the curve looks like, but what problems does it create, Jerry? Well, first of all, it's not going to be obvious, but chasing the curve eventually leads to some problems within all games. Here are the most common ones, but this is not going to be the most exhaustive list. 
I feel like I have to put that down every time I make a list so that we can just yeah. fend off people being like, yeah. well, what about like, well, but what about is I didn't think of it well, <laughs> when well, we wrote it. This well, is, actually, well, actually, this is our non-exhaustive list. All right. Um, yes. The first one, the first one is GM burnout, right? This is the most common reason. Um, this is the most common thing that chasing uh, the curve can do to you, right? Like you just burn out. Um, and quite simply, right, chasing the curve puts more and more pressure on the GM to outdo herself from session to session, which can strain creativity, create extra workload, right? That all just kind of leads into, into GM burnout. And that burnout is the emotional reaction um, of prepping and when, prep, when prepping and running your game is no longer energy giving, but energy draining, right? You start to dread having to, you know, build another encounter or you know, paint these models or put this thing together, whatever. Um, and as soon as prep work flips from, as soon as prep work flips from energy giving to energy draining, you will begin to men mentally resist doing it. Uh, you will just not want to do it. You will find ways not to do it or worse. You will wait till the last minute and use uh, procrastination as leverage to make yourself do it of which you will then just resent it even more because now you're working under even more pressure. So you just hate it more than you did before. Um, and so all of that can lead to strained sessions. It could lead to the GM canceling sessions. It could just, it, it, at, its, at its height, it could just lead to the GM not even wanting to run the game. Yeah. Right. Just burn right out. Done. We've seen that happen. Yeah. All right. I've done it. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk a little about that later. Uh, so, now we're going to talk about mismanaged player expectations. Because if the player gets used to facing the curve, there could be a feeling of disappointment if the next session doesn't exceed the last one. Um, they can be expecting something wild and outrageous, but this session was plain with air quotes. Um, this could cause diminished enjoyment for players, which lowers their emotional investment in the game. And when that happens, it feeds back to the GM. Because the players give lackluster feedback, the GM can be affected, and then they feel lackluster as well, and the game will eventually crash and burn just from lack of interest. Yeah, I mean, if you're already feeling burned out and then you run a session and the players were like, eh, it was a so-so encounter, right? Like, you didn't even get the dopamine reward for pushing through and getting it done, right? right? So yep. now it's, like, doubly bad. Like, it, it now that's, like, a that's a double, like, that's double negative, like, feedback curve. That's a death mm -hmm. spiral, I think is what we're trying to say. Yep. Um. The next one that the next problem that this can cause is reality and continuity issues. And this is, I think, what and this is what Jerry was bringing up in our intro mm -hmm. is that chasing the curve can cause issues in how to keep your game feeling realistic. Um, if every threat is world or universe shaking, there become questions of how many things out there can keep threatening the universe, right? That's exactly what Jerry's opening was all about was like mm -hmm. just a litany of. Oh, yeah. Don't you remember? We stopped this world ending event. We stopped this world ending event. We stopped this world ending. Right. And you can already hear it. Right. You can just yeah. hear that it's too much. Um, and, and that's like and, and that's a problem. Right. How many CR 20 creatures can you find each week to throw at your players? Right. Um, after a while, chasing the curve in this way, your campaign world's going to make less and less sense. Right. And just becomes more and more absurd. Like. Literally, how many people out there can destroy the universe, you know, week to week? This is this is this is the Marvel comic, the DC comics thing, where right. you know you've got Thanos, then Null, then Ultimus, then Evil Reed Richards, then mm -hmm. you know, and, and yeah, uh, 
it's to me it's always been the problem in comic books not in the movies yeah. in comic yeah. books to me it's been the problem um that i think every writer of the avengers has to face is like how many even avengers level problems can i handle like if you're writing spider-man it's great you you're you're like well below the power curve, right? Like you, mm -hmm. you just have like a couple bad guys here and there. And really the pressure's on you just to make some interesting bad guys. But when you're like writing the Avengers, it's like, well, I'm going to need another threat that, you know, both threatens Thor and She-Hulk this week, as well as everyone else. So. And part of that's because they constantly up the power level of the characters. And I read things like, you know, Iceman is an Omega level mutant. You never know the, you know, where did that come from? Oh, that's you know, I, that's actually X Factor. Did you ever see yeah. that? No, but I'm, I'm just I'm, uh, I'm, remind I'm me later. I'll tell you where it happened. It actually but, happened in a comic book episode. But but you get the thing deal. Like Iron Man got to be the point where he was just too powerful. When Iron Man first appeared, even since the 70s and early 80s, he only was really strong when he got overpowered. Other than that, he could only lift you know like a small tank. And now he's super. That's roller that's skates, man. He had roller skates and in his in his armor. I love that so much. I love that so, so much. I'm a little I, disappointed I, that no Tony Stark invention had roller skates in it in the MCU. <laughs> I would have I would have lost my mind if like in Endgame or in, in, in Infinity War when they were on Titan, if all of a sudden he busted out some wheelies and like skated along something. I, yeah. Like that 10 second homage would have made everything for him. Yes, it would have. Yeah. <laughs> uh sorry so no, that, that, that's okay so let's talk about overpowered characters which we discussed there's a character moving along the power curve of the game the gm is going to, need to create those oppositions to keep up with that and this often is just finding bigger and better creatures but also means you have to arm them with equipment templates spells and so on to make them harder and if your calculations are off when you arm your opponents with these abilities you could just be burying players um I've mentioned before my, my infamous, oh, it's a beholder. It's about the right challenge level for these guys. Nope, total party kill. Yeah, um, I really hope you're burying characters and not players, because that's going to be writing this trash. That's, <laughs> that's me. Well, today I would be against burying <laughs> players. Um, some of my past groups, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> all right. But uh, yeah, so you got an overpowered opposition. How about Phil? What's the next one? Yeah, the, the other one is the flip side of that, right? Which is now overpowered characters, right? Chasing the curve can also result in accelerating the power progression of characters. If your opposition, if, if, if in order to make your scene harder, your, you had to arm up your opposition with really powerful equipment and then they got defeated. Guess who just took the equipment? Yep. <laughs> the, yeah. the players yeah. aren't going to leave a particle cannon sitting on the ground. Right. So now you've got you've got your players running around with pieces of equipment that are like ridiculously powerful because they kept taking them off the corpses of the things you threw at them. Right. So now their their power progression, like their power curve is off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, they were they were progressing through it however they were. But now they're also armed with some ridiculous weapons or armor spells, whatever, like. Don't underestimate a player's ability to 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 find equipment after a battle. Yeah, I've I've always, I told one of my early one of my early new GMs back in college. I said, I'm going to tell you the first thing you want to do. I said, this is a sci-fi game. Never ever give the enemy equipment you do not want the players to get their hands on because they will. I said, the first time you show us a hover tank, we're going to get a hover tank, and that's going to be our focus for the rest of the game. I said, it's going to happen. I said. 
just be aware of that. So make sure you're um, now there's ways around who, that. who just decided that he was going to make gasoline almost non-existent. So every time he found a vehicle, uh, it would drive like 10 feet and that's it. Didn't matter that it chased us 10, 10 miles. Now it's only got enough to get 10 feet and then we run out of gas. Which goes uh, back to our previous thing about the reality and continuity of your world just getting yeah. dumb. Yeah. Yes. That's right? exactly it. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, how about the last one? You got there's you got one more for this? Yep. Uh, we also have increased spending or expenses. Um, in order to build bigger and better props or buy more supplements or get cooler minis, you might not be even spending more and more real money to chase this curve. And depending on your income, this can become a problem. Um, or you can end up with a Lego room. One of those two things I have. Uh, <laughs> you, no, 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 no. Don't say you could end up with a Lego room. Let's say it correctly. You could buy a house specifically because it had a Lego room. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you got to go back to the origin. <laughs> that expenditure is way more. <laughs> I, I was single at the time. Mistakes were even made. Well, I don't know. I wouldn't say mistakes. Your house is quite well, nice. Yes, thank you. And, and, and I married well. That's a more important Yeah, so, also yeah. married well. All right. So, all right. Well, these challenges are things that all GMs deal with. When you're chasing the curve, they become accelerated, and several of them can crop up all at once and just make it into a big explosion. Um, this is going to make GM burnout more prevalent, which is the biggest problem. Our goal is to have fun while running these games and playing these games. If chasing the curve leads to, leads to games not being fun or losing the desire to run the game, that we're just failing to have that fun in them, that we need to do something different. Yep, absolutely. So understanding the problems that chasing the curve causes, how can we avoid it in the first place, Phil? Yeah, the um, uh, Evil John in the chat room was already guessing mm-hmm. at, uh, at some of this, right? So um, avoiding it really is actually like your best bet, right? So um, your, your best bet is to not get caught in the trap. Um, and the first thing that you need to do is you need to, you need to learn that consistency wins over flash every time, right? Flash is good, but consistency is what's going to like win the race. Um, having wilder and wilder sessions is one thing, but being able to consistently deliver a good session week after week, month after month. And if you're lucky year after year is a far more valuable skill. And that's going to require you um, to actually change your own internal values, right? Like that's a thing you have to affect inside of you, which is to kind of come to this understanding that um, chasing the curve doesn't really get you anything. Whereas your players will just love the fact that they have a steady and good game to go to session after session. Right. And I'm not saying like a shitty consistent game like you want to you want to work on improving your game and you want to work on improving your skills um that's a thing you always want to do but you don't need to top yourself to do that right you do over time need to kind of push your boundaries and you know exceed some of your expectations but you don't have to do that every session um so that's like the first part of this right the first part of this is just internalizing the idea of just being consistently good and working on on a um continuous improvement of your skills over time uh skill wise right um in terms of your stories and this gets to evil john's point right pacing and beat structure is a thing that you just need to learn right pacing and beat structure is what allows you to control the flow of the game so that you can ramp up and have really exciting um 
really exciting and outrageous climactic scenes, or even if they're not climactic, they're just part of the rising action, but also knowing how to then, in terms of beat structure, fall back to a quieter scene so that you're not just ramping upwards, right? So that you're actually modulating things up and down um, so that it's sustainable, right? That's a huge, and we'll talk about this in the round table a bit more, but um, if you want to learn to avoid chasing the curve, really work on story pacing and beat structure uh, because it's what's going to let you do those things where you can get the really big scene and then calm it back down. And so that you, you're not stuck in that cycle. Cool. By the way, you mispronounced rising big bad action. That's my nickname in college. <laughs> All right, Jerry, what do you do if you realize that you're chasing the curve? How do you break that cycle? Well, first, if you might have to take the curve, you have to stop by breaking whatever the pattern is. Your next session simply can't be louder than the last one. But you need to communicate with your players what's going on so their expectations are set as well. But after that, you need to set the game and see if it's sustainable as part of the curve you're on. Yeah, right. So if you've caught this problem early, then your players are likely not too overpowered. The world still mostly makes sense. And you probably don't actually have a lot to do other than just try to stay out of the like out of the cycle of chasing the curve. If you are farther along though, and this has been going on for a while, uh, you may have bigger problems, right? You, your characters may be overpowered. Your setting may no longer, you know, make sense. All of like, you know, those, all those things may be a problem uh, because you've been, you know, this has been going on for a while. All right. So in this case, there's a few things you can do. The first thing you can do is simply plateau the game. Leave the game where it's at and just keep playing it, but just don't escalate anything. Right, at least for a while, right? Like, just, you know, stay where you are for a little while. Um, the next one is lower the power level. Um, I say that in a voice that sounds like it's super easy, but it could be a lot yeah. harder than it sounds. Just, just lower um, the power You level. may need to actually lower the power level of the game to remove some of the elements and get the world back under control. Um, and the hard part of this is that this may require the players having to give up items um, which you may need to incorporate into a story, right? To like make sense of why they have to give, like maybe they have to blow their particle cannon up. Um, maybe, you know, maybe the defense force arrives and they have to give the SDF one back, right? Because somehow the players wound up with it, um, you know, as you were, as you were escalating the game and like, you have to go give it back now to the, you know, to the, to the earth federation, or I forget what the, what they're called in Robotech. But anyway, point being is, um, you're going to have to do some work to get the game back down to a like to a sustainable level. You might have to tie off some storylines. You might have to come up with a story specifically to kind of um, depower everything and get it back to a level that you're comfortable with. Maybe it was all just a dream. Oh, simulation. don't do that one. Don't do, <laughs> don't do right. That. As an do aside, that. don't do, do the it's a dream or a simulation. Nobody likes that. I don't even like it in movies. All right. Correct. <laughs> Correct. I don't like it in movies either. So, but the other thing you can do is simply reset the game. If things are pretty far gone, you may need to just reset the game back to some point. And after the break, we'll talk about one of the times I had to do that. Um, this can be done by fiat, where you just put the game back to a certain point. Or you may have some story where it's done to reset certain things. Yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, that last one is definitely like a talk to your players. Like, don't reset the game on them. Actually, the, um, I mean, all of them require some level of talking to your players, like lowering the power level is going to require a little bit of conversation. Resetting the game is going to require a lot of conversation with your players. 
Um, they're all going to need to be on board. And it's going to be tough if, you know, one of them's like, what do you mean I have to give up my particle cannon? Right? Like, I've liquidated every bad guy I've seen in like three months with this thing. If you know, I don't want to go back to getting my ass press. handed to me. If only there was a button you could press to make a save point, like in a video game, that you could then go back to that save point. Yeah, right? Like, just, ah, uh, this call, is no we good. Call that, we call that rep on. You're allowed to yes. do that. Yeah, you, You're allowed and you, to do that. And you totally can. You could be like, hey, listen, we kind of, like, lost control of things here. Um, what do you guys say we just go back to this storyline when you guys were third level, right? And we'll just, like, re we can just restart from this point. That you know? actually sounds amazing. <laughs> I would yes. love to do that in some of the games. Yeah, your players might be down for it, or they might be like, fuck you, Phil, like, you know, like plateau the game and you're like, I can't. Like it's not sustainable at this level. Um and I guess the fourth one is like, you know, torture game. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like that option always exists, right? Just just take it out to a field and PC load letter it. <laughs> um, All right. Phil, what's the bat for? <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's uh, that's that's us looking at chasing the curve. We're gonna check in with the chat room. Has been very chatty tonight. I'm watching very it uh, roll by. Um, so uh, let's go check in with them. But before we do, Bob, uh, tell us about another show on the Misdirected Mark Network. Hey, it's time to talk about bonus experience. Yay. Ray and Monica. Ray and Monica are two old friends exploring gameplay and design through the lens of diversity, while also sharing some of the dumbest humor gaming has to offer. Good times. Check them out. Bonus experience. Rain Monica are a hoot. Go check the show out. All right. The chat room. So, yeah, John uh, mentioned uh, that after you have the big Borg uh, episode, the two-part Borg episode, where Picard gets Borgified and turned into Locutus, when they remove all the implants and he's back to being human again, they don't send him out for another bigger, better adventure. They send him home to fight with his brother. Yeah, and they put Worf's parents on the ship. Yep, in a completely different story beat. They bring you back down, ground level, they give you a different beat, and then they move on from there. Yeah, it is. So you can learn so much about story pacing. I was from, say, that is, Trek is great at story beat. Yeah, Trek is very good at story pacing. There is a thing that, um, having now like binged all through the pandemic, there's a thing where the first couple episodes... so. The season finale of a given season is always really tense. The season opener, right, connects to that one. So that's really tense. And then usually the next couple episodes are tense. And then there's like around like around episode four or five, like the whole thing like has a big sigh and slows down until about episode 12. And then episode 12 is you 10 or 12 between 10 and 12 is usually something really big. And then that sustains for a little bit, slows down, and then you get to the 20s and it starts escalating for the season finale again. Mm -hmm. But yes, absolutely. John's absolutely right. Like the thing you have to do after the whole Borg storyline is exactly what they did, right? Is not go out and fight like something bigger, but to go have a really small story and then open it up, like start again, right? Like the ship gets repaired. Picard has this whole emotional catharsis thing. It, you know, staying with his brother. Worf has this whole thing connecting with his parents. And then they're back on the ship, heading out again on another adventure. And in doing so, you've kind of reset the curve so you can kind of start again. Yes. Yeah. Good times. Really good. Again, story pace. So story beats and pacing. 
Apparently, are there going was to some be, dude named are going to be your friend in almost like really every part of this. <laughs> what else they got in there? <clears throat> uh, we're talking about Office Space because we had you know Office Space jokes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, um, Andy brings up a good point, right? Not Enterprise season three. Like Enterprise season three is like a relentless march of a season. Yeah. It what? opens. It opens heavy, and what? it like does not let up. Um until it doesn't let up until like midway into season four it's like freaking sam and frodo slogging through mordor like oh my god just, okay so just one bad just one bad event after another yeah it it okay. it's so they wrote themselves into a the writers wrote something in order to be enterprise galactica and be super dark they wrote themselves a they wrote themselves into a into a situation and into a location where it it doesn't get better and can't get better like it's on a single path and it just gets like more and more intense like it's tiring i want i almost put the i almost put the show at 1.25 speed towards the end because i was like i literally just have to get through these episodes and then i was pissed because we got, got through the season finale and i was like oh season four everybody tells me season four is fantastic i'm ready for a sigh of relief no motherfucker it's still going on it takes like it takes like three more episodes and then finally it takes a breath and you're like and and rightfully so it has the very picard like you know picard going to the the vineyard kind of uh episode but man i was hoping that episode was going to be like season four episode one not episode five yeah yeah the rest anyway, of season four is good, though. It's, it, it's getting better. Although I will still say this, and I'll say it. I'll say it briefly here. The NX-01 is the shittiest ship that has ever been built. It has <laughs> never won a fight. It just gets punched, and and sparks blow up out of it, and and things fail. Like it has not beaten anything that I've seen recently. But did, didn't somebody say basically Enterprise? The Enterprise is basically the. The TNG warp of the uh, Star yes, it, it's exactly what Early it is. It, it's warp, made to yeah. look like it's bad, but it just it just gets beat up yep. a lot. I was uh, just watching an episode today, and I was like, "Oh, like they get they're running away again, like they're mm-hmm. running away because they can't beat anything ever." Mm-hmm. Sorry, it's all right. So, it it's happens. my biggest pet peeve about Enterprise is the NX01, and I love that ship. Right, like it's pretty, like the shape is right, and stuff like that but it's the worst it like ugh. anyway yeah, that ship's not supposed to exist anyway but that being <laughs> said let's jump back into our thingamajigger here workshop yeah that's what it's called the workshop sure. we're back yeah, for the uh, fan favorite round table segment i hope it's a fan favorite because we're going to keep doing it <laughs> and we're going to start off with the following question uh yeah so uh have you ever run or been in a game that was chasing the curve and how far how far did it go well for me it was college vnv um i had uh four players three of whom were roommates uh, we gamed a lot and we, we played and i'm not kidding like three to four nights a week um and uh so it's a superhero game the power levels just kept getting bigger and bigger um and it got to the point where all the villains had to have ridiculous levels of hit points an extra initiative per turn just to keep up with the players. And so nothing was going to be a, a simple encounter or a simple simple story. Um, and so at the end of the my freshman year, I had a big multi-team event 
involving all of the characters that they encountered. Uh, we brought a dimension eater on that basically reset the game. Um, and when I came back in the fall, I was like, all right, you're in a you're in the same world, but a different universe. And we're starting over from scratch. We reworked the rules. I redid character generation to make it a little bit more balanced. So you didn't end up with characters. So you didn't end up with um, you know, Rick Jones and um, Superman on the same team together kind of problem. Hmm. Um, and uh, basically, we had to do more balanced characters and more nuanced adventures. Um, the best part about it was <clears throat> it was the same world, so they would occasionally encounter NPCs who they knew in the other universe were villains. Um, but in this game, they weren't sure. you know. And so somebody would show up as a photographer, and it, maybe it's the villain of Flash Cube, maybe it's just a photographer with the same name. Um, and, uh, and it was a lot more fun. And once the players knew why I did it and knew what we were trying to avoid. And so as we built characters, we specifically built them so that we didn't end up with the same problem again. We didn't have people that, that you could see down the line. This was going to escalate to be too powerful. Yeah. Um, and then we allowed them, and then I allowed them to create one group of heroes that we played once in a while that were at that higher power level so that if we wanted to do a, you know, a Thanos level adventure, we could. But most of the adventures were against Spider-Man level villains, which is always my favorite, my favorite, but the Spider-Man, the 80s X-Men kind of era, kind of level of heroes and villains is my kind of idea of a fun, a fun campaign. But we had to completely nerf the entire game and start over from scratch in the fall. And that became a routine that at the end of every season, we would have a big event. And while I didn't nerf the world, the following fall, we were all new characters. And that next year was going to be the adventures of that super team where they were. And, uh, it worked out pretty well. We did it for several years. Even after I graduated and they didn't. It was a lot of fun. Cool. Uh, stick to your plan. All right, Bob? Yeah, so the uh, the fourth edition D&D campaign that I ran was super prop heavy. I printed out maps from the modules on cardstock and put uh, battle maps out. I had um, tokens that I created um, with magnetic backs on them so I could use the Alea Tools markers to do status conditions and different shit like that. Um, it was shit tons of printing and cutting and sticking and downloading. And I, I bought, um, uh, there was an artist that did um, sets of tokens based on each um, Watsi adventure, but they were named because they weren't official Watsi adventures. Um, or weren't a, they weren't official Watsi mini uh, packs. So they all had like slightly different names and stuff like that, but they were like a reasonable price so that I could have card, you know, uh, images for the, for the mini, uh, the tokens and stuff. And I just kept going and kept going and it, it was burning me the hell out trying to keep up with every, every session to have all of that stuff together and ready to go. And it was just like, uh, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> we had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. No, no, I totally get it, right? I mean, like, I remember that table. That table was, I mean, it was awesome, right? Like, I mean, every one of those, every one of those fights, we had, you know, cool, uh, what's called, cool maps, cool minis, yep. all of that. And, and it was good because, like, we were used, like, and I, if I remember correctly, uh, we all purchased minis, and one of the players who was actually quite adept at painting minis actually yep. painted um, all of our minis for us. Like, yep. I still have two of those minis from that campaign. Yeah, the PCs were all actual miniatures, and then everything else was uh, was um, flat uh, cardstock. Which is good, because we killed that shit, like, wholesale. Oh, yeah. You couldn't have kept up with that. Yeah. Um, but it was great. Like, I remember. And, and for 4E, it was even more important, because so many of those powers and things like that, like, 
you needed to like you needed to see it you could not mind's eye I, yeah. I say that right instantly there's gonna be like somebody on twitter i played mind eye 4e like you know for five years like yes it for us be done, but- it was very helpful to have it all on the table so that when we used all of our powers and stuff yeah. you could actually rearrange the table accordingly and Evil John's got uh, a comment that is near and dear to my heart here because this is exactly what my table was like for that 4E game. They move through D&D like SEAL Team 6. Uh-huh. They love tactical <laughs> combat. Yeah, that's what I had, John. These people, I would put a, 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 an encounter together for them, and they would sit there and be like, all right, we're going to do this, 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 then bam, 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 boom. And they mm-hmm. took things down with, with military precision. It was ridiculous. <laughs> we very we very quickly learned how um we very quickly learned to check to see how our powers interacted with each other uh-huh. and very quickly started to um come up with ways to um link them up like oh if you do that then i'll hit them with this power so that they can't move and then that way like the ranger can just like drill it with like a hundred arrows like oh yeah good times <laughs> we had we had that problem when I ran Pathfinder for the first time. So you had a player with a nearly identical memory, and he just would always play buffer characters. He'd play a, a wizard with all just buff debuff spells. And we had another player who was uh, uh, just mustered out of the army, so he had a very tactical mind when it came to small unit tactics. And the two of them would just every encounter would plan out everything from movement to who went first and how, which was kind of fun because we had some newer players in the group, and so they, they very quickly learned how to make their characters awesome at a low level. This was a group that did work well together. But yeah, you end up with this thing where you're like, all right, I've only got them out number three to one. Uh, so that means the advantage is on their side kind of thing. Yeah. Um, which is fun. I mean, it, it, And as long as you're always excited to see what cool thing your players will pull, that's a lot of fun. But it, it, you, you can never count on something being challenging for them because you never know what they're going to pull out unless you just super overpower, which would then lead to party kill. Hmm. So. I, I was the warlord, and I think that was one of the most badass. Um, that was a great character class. I, I was yeah. a warlord with a reach weapon. I was, I was, yeah. I was a lot of problems. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Phil, what about you? So my my my, I think the my best examples of of doing this was in high school. I had this um, TMNT campaign that I had. <laughs> so very sixteen year old Phil had no pacing whatsoever. Yeah. Um it was it was zero to sixty <laughs> for everything. Um and uh I would I like I would blow through storylines so quickly um that I reset the game five times. No one wanted to stop playing it and no one wanted to stop playing their characters and also it was a playdium game so it took forever to make characters, right? So yeah. no one wanted to actually stop but like all of a sudden the world would get destroyed. It would be like, well, we kind of painted ourselves into a corner on this one. Uh, how about we just keep the same characters and I'll just reset the world. Okay. And I would just like reset the world and then do it again and then do it again. Like it was, it was brutal. Like I love my players. <laughs> Those were my high school players. I love them so much for putting up with it, but um, they really just wanted to play TMNT. And I really just like uh, could not, I could not keep a storyline sustained for any length of time. We played weekly and I would just blow through storylines at like this blistering pace um, and run like the game into corners. And there were so many other things wrong with my GMing style back then, but like the pacing was a huge problem. I later, um, I actually learned and I wrote this article on 
Gnome Stew like eight years ago. Uh, everything I learned initially about story pacing, I learned from X Files. Um, Chris Carter, Chris Carter taught me, um, Chris, Chris Carter taught me all about the idea of the mythology episodes and the monster of the week episodes. And that, um, you know, you do a couple mythology episodes, and then you do some monster of the week episodes to slow everything back down. And I got really, um, good by the nineties. Like I started to become skilled at, uh, how to, like how to pace my campaigns, uh, and then by the time that Robin Laws did Hamlet's hit points, I got much better at the idea of of beat structure and starting to look at um, adventures in terms of beats. Like this adventure is a you know downbeat, this is an upbeat, mm-hmm. um, that kind of thing. Yes, Schmidt, you are hundred percent correct. X Files takes that pacing to an extreme. Uh, yes, to a point actually, it's too frustrating. X X Files is like the edging of. Um, <laughs> it's like the edging of stories right it's not even pacing it's like edging like you will never get to you are never going to get to the climax of this mythology we're finally going to find out do, about I'm Mulder's just sister ruin it anyway. no <laughs> <laughs> no yeah nope <laughs> yeah uh it's very like yeah but but there's a lot to be learned from how chris carter set up those episodes um in terms of sustainability, right? If, if all if all they did was mythology episodes, they had to burn through that mythology relatively quickly. The fact that it got doled out in little chunks and then other shit happened along the way. And just when you were like, oh, where is there another mythology episode? Bam, one would show up. Yep. You know what other show was actually really good for that in modern times? Fringe. Oh, Fringe. Oh, yeah, Fringe was good. No, I was thinking of um, I was thinking of something completely different is um, Steven Universe. Ah, Yes. Steven Universe also did the same thing where you would get like stories about the history of the gems and everything else. And then you wouldn't like the next couple, like the next couple episodes would just be like Steven, you know, doing kid stuff. Yep. And, you know, monster stuff too, but like, like very, like very well paced out like that. Like that show was also one that did a very good job of um, mythology and then like random one-off adventures. Mm -hmm. And that reminds me, I need to go back and watch fringe because I never watched it. (laughs) I'll tell you what fringe is. It's funny because fringe is like, it's pretty good. Then it's really good. And then the last season's really weird. Um, But in the middle, it is pretty fantastic. It's worth watching to get to the middle. All right, so that should theoretically bring us around to question two. Of the ways we talked about uh, accelerating opposition, locations, stakes, props, which of those is the hardest for you to keep regulated? Bill? Yeah, for me, it's stakes. Um, I I have to do, like, I have to really consciously, um, I have to make a real conscious effort um, not to have stakes. like start to increase over time or to lower stakes again. Um, I get into this habit where um, I get excited, right? Like I just get excited about the story and the stake. you know, one of the ways I create excitement in the story is by making the stakes of a story relatively big. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, going back to that Star Trek model, like it's really important after having kind of like that two part Borg episode, you got to go put Picard on the vineyard for a little while, yep. <laughs> right? Like you got to have those, you got to have those kind of de-escalating um, kind of adventures. And for me now, that's a lot easier. It was a lot harder when I was younger. It's, it's a lot easier for me now because um, I really love uh, character interactions, character stories and things like that, that don't actually um, have anything to do with, um, you know, advancing 
the major story or major plots. Like I'm totally fine after a big adventure, just having a session where um, the characters are kind of moving around in their lives, talking to NPCs or arguing with each other or whatever. So it's kind of easy. It's easier for me now to kind of uh, de-escalate those stakes. But I always kind of check that as I'm um, as I'm working on an adventure is, you know, where are the stakes? Where were the stakes? Have I given some breathing room? You know, does, you know, do the players, you know, do the players feel like, um, uh, do they feel like the stakes are going up, but not going up too fast? Like it winds up being a lot of consideration on my part. Uh, and I think it has a lot to do with the fact that my TMT games when I was a kid were such a, um, uh, you know, I, I guess the best way to explain it was like, have you ever seen a crash test? Like for a car, that's how I ran campaigns, right? Like I would just, I would launch it off the blocks and run it right into a wall. So oh. for me, it's a lot more, for me, it's a lot about keeping an eye on those stakes and modulating them accordingly, right? I don't want it to be boring. I don't want the stakes to be too low where the players don't, um, you know, aren't interested. But, and then at the same time, I need them to, you know, I need to get the stakes up there, but I also need to create some breathing room. Like there's a lot of pacing and stuff that goes into mm-hmm. that. Uh, how about you, Bob? Yeah, definitely the props for me, the terrain, the tokens, the, you know, battle maps and handouts. And yeah, I, uh, I get excited about doing that. And then it just, Bob, I'm a self-reflecting prop whore. I love that kind of stuff. When yep. you see my basement, I love props. If I had a Lego room, I would Lego the fuck out of a game. <laughs> so that's. Jerry has. <laughs> I, I've done it before. Yep. <laughs> Jerry's Lego Star Wars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's tricky to find. Um, it's tricky to find a nice equilibrium with um, with props and gear. And in in some respects, I've had to find this with playing online. Yeah. Like I need visual props now. Yeah. Right. And it's not that they cost money, but it's like an extra layer of shit I have to do now. Um, and 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 I'm bad at like for me like I get caught up in this too, where um, like I might've, I think I spent like 45 minutes for iHunt hunt um, scouting locations in Google earth yeah. for the right block to put the adventure on. Yep. Right. And I, I probably didn't need to do that, but I wound up like I got caught up in it. <clears throat> what about you, right. Jerry? For me, it's rewards and gear. I'm always horrible at figuring out how much, how much is enough? How much is not enough? Do you give out too much? Um, you end up with that with the power creep. Uh, this is especially true in both science fiction games and fantasy games, where you have things like in D and D. You know, are you giving out enough enough plus one tours and stuff like that, or not enough? Uh, what do your players really want? And then in in sci-fi games, it's very easy to get your, especially in sci-fi games, it's very easy to get your hands on the wrong kind of equipment. You know, the players all of a sudden steal, you know, uh, 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 the Death Star. <laughs> and, um, I mean, I remember playing our very first D6 Star Wars. Our players stole a Star Destroyer. <laughs> we stole. A, we, we we found that we found a, we stole a whole Star Destroyer. It still had people on it, but we managed to get control of it and steal it. And uh, the GM wasn't sure what to do with us after that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's rewards in gear, making sure that because you you don't want to also leave them gear screwed. And some games are designed about it. If you if you play games like Pathfinder. Or 3.5, uh, certain monsters and certain levels, they expect that your fifth level character is going to have a certain amount of gear with them as well. Yeah. Um, and if you don't have that gear, um, we had a we we played uh, the the fucking Palo campaign in Pathfinder, which is um, 
part of the cobalt team and all that. And there are some monsters in there you cannot defeat without magic weapons. And our GM was stingy with mad, with, with, yep. with rewards across the board. And, uh, you know, when, when my level two wizard is one of the frontline fighters, because I'm the only one who can do magic in close combat, that's not a good combination for the, for the story. No. Um, so, and then, so as a player, you also see the same thing is, do we have too much? Do we have not enough? Um, so that, that's always trouble. And it's not as much of a problem in games, in superhero games, where you're not supposed to loot the bad guys. But in games where you can openly loot the bad guys, um, that can be a problem. So we've, uh, the best way I've found is basically talk to your players about what they want. What is the one thing they're really looking for for their character so they can get it? And then they won't constantly try to loot everything under the sun if they can get the thing they want. Um, and they go from there. So, all right. Bill, question two and a half? Two and a half. Oh, yeah. Two oh, and a half. Question three. I was messing with the numbering on them. Uh, so... How do you work to avoid chasing the curve when you GM? Yeah, I touched a little bit on this before, right? Pacing is a huge part of this. Um, And really, it's about um, if it really it's about it's about it's about dealing with and then going away from those main um, arcs that you have going in the in the game, right? So um, you can, you know, have some of your have some of your story arc, then uh, switch it out. Do like a, you know, one-off kind of thing or do a um, all character life in the life in the character, uh, you know, session um, kind of thing for our, um, you know, for our forbidden lands game. um, The game itself has like this kind of built-in pacing where, um, you know, we play a number of sessions where you're out on the road and you're fighting things and it's, you know, you're scrapping to survive. And then we return home and we usually wind up having a session um, of bookkeeping, which I always add like a little, like some uh, character, like some NPC interaction things into it um, as well. But it slows everything down, right? Like we have this, you know, we talked about this before, right? The repositioning, um, mm-hmm. the repositioning session where um, we've, uh, what you call it? We've slowed the game down. We're going to take stock of what's going on. We're going to, build up the uh, stronghold a bit. Cool. Now we're ready to go out on this next, you know, this next leg of adventure. Um, so yeah, for me, it's pacing, 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 pacing. Um, I, Bob, you know what? I, I didn't have you in here originally, but you know what? You talked about props being an issue. Like what, what do you think you got any tips for avoiding chasing the curve for props? You know, it's probably just a matter of don't get overexcited with, with making everything do the bare minimum that you need to get the point across. Like, here's the map. All right. This is what it's going to look like. Like one, one static image of what the room looks like that you're going to be fighting in or whatever. Um, you don't have to go with, you know, here's the map of the room, the, 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 the late, the floor plan. And then here is a token that represents the table and here's the yes. you know like all the bits yeah. and pieces that are in the room like if you oh, know they're there God. and the, and the characters can interact with them fine let them know um don't you know don't fall down the rabbit hole of getting actual minis for everything if you've got paper paper uh, craft stuff and and you just want to print out some stuff I, that's how the paper my, my suggestion is if you love props save the props for some of the more Interesting encounters. When I ran uh, Palace of Silver Princess, we ran for four weeks Theater of the Mind almost, and then 
they finally went into the ruined town outside the palace. And that's when they arrived at the game and I had half the table set up with um, 3D props of buildings and everything. Yeah. And, um, you know, we've done a couple of adventures where I've done some stuff where, where 3D is going to be important. But other than that, you know, just these simple, you know, it, it also, that doing it once in a while can also be a nice beat change because when the players suddenly, you know, when the players walk into yep. a room and see uh, that I, I was lucky enough one time to be running a Warhammer fantasy role play at the hobby shop and uh, we were playing in the front room and I'd gotten there early and taken three of the big Warhammer tables and set up an entire Mordheim village, four foot wide, 12 foot long. That was going to be their exploration for the week. And when I had everybody pick up their character sheets and walk into the back room, it suddenly changed the demeanor of that adventure, made it much more serious for that yep. one week and changed our pace from the city role-playing to suddenly dark and dangerous, which can be fun. Yep. Um, but I also didn't cost me anything, so I was just using the store props. So. Yeah. Yeah, which which is amazing, right? Like and and it's also like a cool like it's a it's a it's a cool beat change. It's a cool way to signify like what's going on. It's going to change everybody's focus. Like if you come downstairs and all of a sudden the whole table is decked out with a 3D model, you're like, "Oh, we're having this kind of game tonight," mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. like everybody puts on like, you know, a different mental like they they get into a different mental space. Like it's great. And it's definitely not chasing the curve when you do that, right? That's a beat change. Yep. yep. Right. And that's fantastic because that's the thing like, well, we always just use the battle mat and draw on it with markers every week. And then you come downstairs, you're like, what is this? Right. Mm -hmm. And like now if you, you know, if the next week you do it, (laughs) like now you're starting to get on the curve, right? Like, you know, I've never, I've, I've never gone in and bought, like you can buy these 3D tunnels and um, you know the Dwarven Forge stuff and all that, and that's nice. But I see it'll build the entire adventure that way. That seems to be excessive, especially because I tend to run games a little more more loosely, and so they might not go down that tunnel I spent eighty bucks buying and painting. Oh, um, I, yeah. I, I saw an adventure. I saw a tweet the other day from um, Padme's lover, who I follow on Twitter. Fantastic mm-hmm. human being, super nice guy had the entire if i remember correctly g2 adventure in dwarven forge terrain yeah laid out and i was like that's committing to the bit i mean this is impressive but mm-hmm. and i would like it would be a blast to play that but i'm also like i am not this gm yep, right yep. i i don't pour molds i don't paint stuff um i i just like i'm aware that that's just not my uh, shtick. Um, I tip my hat to those who um, who are willing to do that work um, because they find it rewarding. It's not a thing that feeds me, um, and um, it's cool. Like it's super. Like look, it's way cooler looking than the shit I draw on my dry erase board, which is garbage because I'm the world's like worst cartographer. Um, but. Um, I've set the bar low enough in my games that no one's <laughs> expecting anything great. What's um, that roundish thing over there, Phil? That's a square tower. <laughs> yeah, that's a square tower. <laughs> Whatever, deal with it, right? <laughs> By the I'll, way, I'll, I'll the, map, the map yeah. from our DCC game from February last year, um, yes. from the many, like the, uh, what was it, the um, the one that watches, the one that from, watches below, from below, yeah. yep. is still on the dry erase board. <laughs> nice. Where I where I sit as a GM, it's still there. We we played like four more adventures after it, 
I, I just never erased it. That's funny. It's I'll, just I'll there. Now, the one thing that can be fun with the props thing, though, is that you can have fun picking up the props. And like one of the things I loved, um, when the Smurfs movie came out, of all things, McDonald had little round, four-inch diameter, four-inch high mushroom houses with a, with a plastic-printed door and a removable top that had a plastic Smurf coin. And they were like $1.89 if you didn't get a Happy Meal. I picked those up because that was I know at some point one of these days my players are gonna go to a town and I'll be able to put in a bunch of little mushroom ho- houses and they're gonna have a ball for you know half an hour just interacting with that. Um but there's also yeah. the worry that when you put props on the table, people are gonna play with them more than play the adventure. Okay. So if you're happy with that, that's also good. So all right. Cool. Um, all right, let's wrap this question up with Jerry. All right, mine is uh I try to focus on the character personalities and hooks over the grandiose adventures. Um I'm not a big fan of Dungeon Crawl to begin with. I like to play it with a PCP. But when I'm a player in a game or a GM, and a lot of my old playgroups were like this, like, eight, nine rooms, we're done. Let's go do something else kind of thing. They didn't like the world's largest dungeon stuff. So I tend to worry less about the opposition and more on set pieces. Um, a lot of players to mostly add in their own setting narratives. If we're going to do a, uh, an adventure that's going to be, you know, a, a D&D adventure or something, we're going to have a couple of big style combats with some cool things and then just get the rest of the, the rest of it is a story game um if it's going to be sci-fi or star wars i lay the groundwork for what the plot is and kind of leave them to kind of imagine what's going to happen you, know, you need to do a heist you need to slice some information out of this executive tower um you know uh, make a roll and tell me what you know about the tower and then let them kind of fill in the gaps on what's going to be cool there um but as always gotta be careful we have one player who wants to have a rancor show up every fight but um, I try to make the focus of the game less about over-the-top adventures and more about the character interaction, the character personalities, and so on. And then it's easier to get into a, a beat structure because if you're focusing on the players and the characters' interactions and the players are focusing on that, then there isn't the incentive to do bigger, badder, better every single week because um, what they might want is bigger, badder, more drama. And... <clears throat> And that can be fun. More drama is always makes for a better game, in my opinion. So that's what I do. But, cool. So that was our look at Chasing the Curve. Yeah, we hope as you run your own games that um, you'll find this information helpful and hopefully stay off the curve. Right? Be good, kids. Stay off the curve. Yeah. Just say no to curves. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. No. The... The shtick of Bob Everson does not reflect the uh, the values of the misdirected Mark podcast. We are all about curves. Yes. I like curves just as much as the next guy. Hey, we're going to check in with the chat room one more time before we head over to the conversation corner. So let's do that. And look, hey, mm-hmm. Gaming and BS has joined us. Yay. Hey. And when we say BS, it's most likely just us. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, think the, I think from the emoji that it's us. <laughs> I don't think I, I, I don't think Brett operates like Twitch and things like that. That's a very Sean. That's uh Yeah. As Jared Rasher sure. quoted, if Sean didn't do the technical stuff, it just wouldn't get done. Correct. I mean that's like me, right? Like if somebody didn't do the technical shit, I wouldn't be podcasting. Um I, I'm Bob. just I'm I'm just good to stick a mic in front of and, and let let me ramble. Like that's just that's all I got. Shove a mic in his face and he's good to go marginal amount of game design understanding and you know can just ramble for a while that's yeah, it it's uh, it's uh Jared, yeah welcome uh, gaming and bs yeah mostly us 
Jared uh, made the comment that I fully agree with. I lost so much of my life printing out dungeon tiles I made in Dungeony, as well as a shit ton of printer ink. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was a lot of printing and cutting and taping some things together, and and it was just, oh. <laughs> well, dude, and the worst part would be, like, I printed out this whole scene, and then, like, three turns later, we're like, yeah, high-fiving each other yeah. and eating our um, dead. our Oreo Coast. What, what were those things? The the cookies. Um, oh. oh did, remember those things? Yes. All right, so for people who don't remember, for people who don't know what we're talking about, um. Oreo had these like soft two pack cake like Oreo yeah, they were Oreos, but they weren't cookie cookie. They were more like a cake. Right. Okay. Cakesters. 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 Yes. Okay. I remember so we used to buy them by the box, but we would save them for the adventure when we kicked, when we beat up something that was like was substantial. And then they were like our victory snack. Yeah. Like we would beat up whatever and then we'd break out the cakesters and eat them. Um, so yeah, so Bob would like, Bob would print all this shit out. He'd be like, I got this, I got this. He'd lay it all out. And like three turns later, we'd be high-fiving each other, breaking into the cakesters. And it's like, well, there went all of that printing. Yeah, like, Some of it'll it. get recycled, but you know, the rest of it is just, you know, was three turns of excitement. Yes. As Evil John noted with a link to Amazon, cakesters are real. They did exist. They probably still do exist. Now I have I to cannot eat them, them anymore because I need to. I need to have a cakester. No, you don't. Yes, you I don't. do. Yes, <laughs> they're not. Must it's not good, Bob. It's not good. It's not terrible. I don't. I don't think it's they not were like good. Deep frying. Go look at the. Thing. You go look at the. Um, <laughs> look, I thought they were a good idea, which inherently means they were bad because <laughs> I only know how to find bad food. Hey, you know, if if I was like into horribly bad food, the sleeve, the full sleeve, still unopened of Girl Scout Thin Mints would be gone already. But it's sitting on the shelf, just waiting to be opened. So, yeah. Oh man, kids these days. Ours was ours was, ours was like goldfish crackers. We went through so many goldfish crackers when I was gaming. Oh man, they had golden cakesters. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so oh, give me too. some golden cakesters. I actually like those better. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm how to make a, Oreo cakesters? Uh oh. I'm a vanilla guy over over chocolate. Yeah. Oh no. Fist bump, oh Jerry. no. But 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 only when it comes to food. But only when it comes to food. Oh no. I mean, I like There's chocolate as much as the next guy, them. but. Oh, there you go, there you go, Schmitty. Put them in yes, the freezer. In the freezer. Uh, cakesters in the freezer. No, but I'm not going to look at this. This this lies madness. Every once in um, a while, I will, I will, I will get either like ho hos or Swiss cakes or Twix, and I will hide them in the office uh, refrigerator or if it's the cakes, I put them in the freezer. And somebody will be like, "I oh, just, oh, I've got the like, You know, we've got uh, cold Swiss cakes in the freezer. Oh, what? Scrambles oh, in the freezer up, and yeah. they come out with. A, <sighs> That's I where I, I keep my Reese's my peanut butter cups. I keep those in the fridge. Yeah, what's that? What'd you? I went shopping when I was at my parents' house, and I got a feeling it didn't get packed in the food bag when I left. I went and bought this. All right, so you have to be down from New York City to understand this. But in New York City, outside of New York City, there was, and I think this is probably like some mid-Atlantic thing. Um, there was a company like Hostess called Drake's. Yes, Drake's yeah, Cakes. Okay, Drake's Cakes. Okay, good, good. Do they have them around here? I've never seen Drake's cakes around here. Do you have to go somewhere special to find them? Uh, I don't know. I've they're them rare, recently. but I've seen. Okay, them. they might All be right. Rod- they might be closer to Rochester, but yeah. Anyway, I was down at my parents' house, and they have Drake's cakes there. So mm-hmm. I nabbed myself 
um, a box of what are called funny bones, which is um, which is imagine a Twinkie, but change it to chocolate. Then take out the cream, replace it with creamed peanut butter, yep. and then dip it in chocolate. Yep. Mm-hmm. It is magnificent. And I bought a box of them with strictly the only purpose of bringing them back to the house. And I get a sinking feeling. I did not take them out of my parents' pantry. I hope when the show is now over, my parents have a box of, of, of uh, funny bones. I hope when you Accord- go upstairs after the show, you find them and get a treat. According, yes. according, according to, to Google, I can buy Drake's cakes at Wegmans, Walmart, and Target. There you go. In Buffalo. There, there are, there are Drake, there are three locations of Drake's cakes within a mile of my house right now. So, so Interesting. That, that's, that's not that far from you, Phil. So. Um, makes me losing my Drake's cakes a little less uh, severe. I was just going to say, I, like, I've never seen them at Wegmans. I would have seen them at Wegmans. I've been shopping but, like for the last year. They, they, prob- they probably, I'd probably, probably find them at Walmart more than Wegmans. Yeah, that makes sense. I would imagine. Anyway. All right. This should <laughs> yeah. probably roll us into the conversation corner. So We should indeed. So uh you've heard you've heard us mention many times Valheim recently. It's it's the thing that's giving me mm-hmm. life right now during the tail end, hopefully tail end of this pandemic. Um mm-hmm. Valheim trolls are freaking scary fast. These giant yes. lumbering yeah, beasts move like the wind. Just when you think you've got a second to like knock your bow and try and take a shot or switch weapons or or like, oh I gotta eat some food, all of a sudden it's on you. And I had a running fight with one of these not re- not too long ago where I stopped for a second and all of a sudden it was right in front of my face and I hit the the move forward and the run button simultaneously and then hit the jump button and just like, ah, <laughs> it was hysterical. They're also quiet. Yes, you think you. that they would like, make more noise. Yeah, like yeah, like like you'll you'll be chopping down a tree or something, and that's just enough noise that you look up and it's like twenty feet in front of you, which is yep. ten feet too close. <laughs> it's it's twenty feet too close. It's <laughs> and, and 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 lately, what have they been doing? They've been double teaming us. Yes, they chase one troll chasing. I mean, these things. To put it in perspective, uh, these trolls are they're like thirty five feet tall. They're enormous. Yeah. They uh they can reach over walls and grab you. These these um, are King Kong size beasts. Yeah. They, yeah and we just had one attack our, our swamp castle and yeah. pound the crap out of the wall to the point where a big chunk of the wall was gone. So I had to do some repairs. But yeah, yeah. scary fast. Yeah. Until you're in phase two of the game, like one troll is a dangerous threat for the entire party. Yeah. By phase two, like one troll, if you're prepared for it, you can probably survive it not run it but even then it's still an oh shit moment it's yep. it's a it's a code brown moment for you quite yes. a while it's, it's which makes the game fun because yeah. it's it's still challenging at this level it's like a bunch of the little stuff it's like oh you know uh dwarves and 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 boars and stuff no problem yeah but a troll shows up and all of a sudden game is on yep. the good news is is that if you get a certain amount of distance from them they will lose interest but yeah. you have to get that gap wide enough if you're running and you can't stay far enough ahead of them, they'll just keep coming. They're going to chase you. <laughs> Knocking trees down. I have, no, that, but involuntary exploration. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, Voyager is um, has been a pleasant surprise to me. Um, 
I've watched, I'm not just watching what's in on the list that Phil curated. I'm watching all those. I'm watching all of them because I didn't give it a fair shake the first time through. So I have, uh, I have seen every episode so far up to tonight. Um, and it's more serial than I remember it being like, everybody was like, Oh, you know, deep space nine was so serial with all his long running plot lines. And da, 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 da. it's like, Voyager's got a lot of serialness to it. Um, there's a lot of <laughs> things going on and a lot more than I remember. Um, so that was a pleasant surprise too. Um, some of the setup they did for one of the stories, um, was, was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, looking forward to tonight. Um, and, and continuing on through the rest of, uh, of the, the show. Um, Marvel, of course, the people that they've got running their shows, they know how to tell a story. Falcon oh, and Winter Soldier not. is, uh, is a delight so far. Three set, three, uh, episodes in. Um, so super enjoying that. Um, only had one RPG this week. We had our Dresden Files game on Friday night. Um, that, of course, is always a delight because we, we are, uh, we feel like we're outgunned every week. <laughs> we're mm-hmm. out of out of our uh, out of our comfort zone, and yet we manage to figure out stuff and get stuff done, and and that kind of thing. So, good times there. And uh, yeah. for Senda's benefit, uh, my queen, I am through the first season of Shira, and like three or four episodes into season two, um, it is uh, it's an interesting show. Um, I'm not a big fan of the theme song, so I definitely hit skip on that every time. Um, it's yeah. not really a song. It doesn't have like, you know, uh, like a chorus and a, and a, and multiple, but it's like, it's a short, like, eh, and then it's over and it just feels odd. Um, characters are interesting. Of course, it's made for kids. So you've got, you know, like this character's name is what they do. This guy's name is Bo. He's the archer. Whoa. Hey, there's a surprise. You know, <laughs> glimmer sparkles, you know, <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> But it's an entertaining show so far, and uh, um, I'm looking forward to the machinations of the big bad evil guy. Um, when you've got a group that's called the Horde, you know you got to figure those are bad guys. You know, yeah. I mean, and they live in the fright zone. It's like if unless you've been brainwashed from childhood, like poor Adora, um, you know, you got to be like, yeah, those are the bad guys. They're 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 called the horde, and they live in the fright zone. Like, <laughs> like die, right? <laughs> but hey, we had to do a lot of setup in season one to get things established and and stuff like that. So, so looking forward to see where that goes to. Uh, all right, that's enough of me jibber jabbering. Uh, Jerry, what is up for you? Um, Valheim teamwork. Um, I love the fact that this is a game that you can go into. The three of us are playing it right now. And Bob is all about building bigger, better, stronger, tougher, much more, much cooler. Um, if I build something, he'll come back and help me. And all of a sudden it looks 10 times better and much more ergonomic and everything else. Um, Chris is a killing machine. Yeah. Um, he'll just find, he's like, Oh, you guys had trouble in there. He'll just go in and kill stuff for us. We're going to get it. I love exploration. So I'll just wander the Island. And as I go, I'll build little, little rescue hut so that when the rest of the people decide to go explore up then they have places to go and it's just the 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 teamwork organization this is a lot of fun um you know something bad will show up and all of a sudden we all kind of get together and armor up and go in as a, as a group it's just also a lot of fun um and the trolls are just uh it, it, it's every time they show up it's terrifying and fun it's yep. it's that it's that that little itch you need to kind of keep a game going yep. um 
I've been catching up on Avatar The Last Air- Airbender. I'm uh, about halfway through season one, um, so I've been enjoying that. It's uh, I really like the show, and I like the character, de- character designs. And I know we're building towards something even better. You can see they're already getting away from some of the super cutesy kid-based stories and into some meteor stuff, the same way that the Clone Wars did. Um, and I watched a couple other just silly anime that I picked up over the way. Um, Voyager is fun and much more interesting than I expected. When Voyager first came out, I only watched a couple of half episodes, never got into it. And I am, I am loving the characters. I'm loving the complexity of the characters, characters that I, you know, when you glance at Voyager from a distance, only see one or two episodes, you don't understand, you know, like you forget that Neelix was a, was a guerrilla freedom fighter. And when all of a sudden he's goes from being Mr. Happy, goofy guy to, yeah, I know how to kill somebody if I have to kind of person. And it's a lot of fun. Um, Dresden Files, like Bob said, um, is a lot of fun. It's dangerous. I'm learning a lot more about how to use the fate system. And this is really teaching me more about what people love about fate. And that's, and that's a lot of fun because I'm enjoying it. Um, and lastly, Marvel, um, I won't, no spoilers, just they keep surprising me. Um, they, they lead me the direction I think they're going to go in. And for reading the comics, I'm like, oh, I know what this is going to be. And then they do something that, that just puts a little twist on it. And it's chef's kiss. I love it. I'm so happy. Um, it's, it's amazing. And they keep introducing characters. They, they do a good job of introducing characters and making them meaningful for a little while. It's a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to it. Bill? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, the weather's been nicer. I got a chance to ride my bike a bit. Um, that, that's been that's been nice. I mean, it's been a couple months uh, without riding. So I, uh, what's called, I'm appreciating getting back on the bike and working to build up my stamina again. Um, while I was hanging Hanging out at my parents' house, um, I downloaded and played some uh, Magic the Gathering Arena on my iPad. That's actually pretty fun. Um, I think I may do a little bit more of that. Um, I kind of like it. Um, I mean, it's definitely got all the traps of Magic plus in-app purchases. So um, <laughs> it is, uh, you know, I'll have to keep it on a, Your I'll have to keep it at a certain so distance. so much nicer if you um, spend the money on these cards. Mm-hmm. yeah. I am, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I'm skilled enough now. I've been burned by magic before and I'm skilled enough now to handle in-app purchases that, you know, I'll decide if I'm willing to spend money on it based on how much entertainment I'm getting out of it. Yep. Um, but for now, it's fun. I played a, I, you know, I've been playing some um, single color decks that they've got that they give you like when you uh, play through the tutorial. So um, it's uh, what you call it. It's fun. I play bots. I don't really like. I, I like Jared. I, I don't really have an urge to play people nope. um, or be social about it. Um, I'll just, you know, I can just play the bot. Um, so that's good. Like that. It's fun. And it gives you like a digital collection of cards. Like as you play, you, you amass cards and um, you get, bo- you know, booster packs and things like that. You can actually customize decks. I have, have not done. I have not done any of that yet. I'm just playing like the pre-made decks. That they that they give you, which are a lot of fun. They're like pretty tricked out, and once you figure out how they work, um, and having played Magic in the past, it didn't take long to actually kind of figure out how they work. Um, I had some fun. Plus, when you played the AI on low, it's pretty simple. Um, I did some prep for Eye Hunt. Um, not so much adventure prep, but I did a whole bunch of things about um, uh, like what are the vampire clans in, in our, in, in Philadelphia are like where our game's taking place and mm-hmm. where do sorcerers come from? And what about werewolves and All things like that? Things, yeah. Um, 
what what's the deal with demons and things like that. So I actually did that so that I that um, our campaign world actually has some um, has some like lore going on about that stuff. So that was fun. And I started working on um, the plot for our sprawl game based on our um, uh, last session where we kind of came up with the meta idea. So I'm starting to actually put that into what does that actually look like and what is it and what's the like, what are the first couple of adventures that'll kind of um, lead into that uh, more enterprise Four again, the NX one, the wimpiest ship um, that's ever held the name enterprise. Uh, even the wooden one, I'm sure kicked more ass than the NX one. Um, but um, I'm excited. Season four is definitely better than season three. Um, but also season four will end and then I'm going to go get myself a Paramount plus, um, account and start right on disco. Um, that is, that is exactly disco and, um, lower decks. I'm just going to watch both of them in parallel. I don't even, I'm not going to wait. Um, I'll just watch a little of each, but I'm very excited to, I'm very excited to do those. Uh, I was lukewarm on disco, but since I, loosely pay attention on star trek twitter on what what like what has happened i'm more excited about what's happened to it and i'm kind of um ready to jump in and get going um and then lower decks just looks fun so i'll just get that i'll just watch that anyway um and then falcon winter soldier um pretty good i i don't know if i was rocked by um this last episode i thought the episode was pretty good um i did like that they brought in um uh, whatchamacallit, the location, uh, what is it, Maripol or whatever? Um, Maripol, that, that's good because that's an X-Men. Yep. Um, that's an X-Men reference. I did see, and I didn't see it noted anywhere else. Um, there was a scene where, um, the woman, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure she's the flag smasher, right? Like the super soldier woman, she's talking to one of her buddies and they're yeah. outside. They're like casing this, um, they're casing this building and the building had this, um, uh, circle with an X on it that looked exactly like the Xavier logo on the on the fence, and I didn't see any other. Um, I didn't see I thought, any other I reference. Thought that, was the, thought that was the logo for the GRC. The GRC is a circle with an X. I mean, it looks exactly like the Xavier logo. I know that, but I think that's. Just, I think that was the building for the GRC. Oh, that, I know it's a building for the GRC. I just I, I I couldn't reconcile what that circle with the X was. Um, it it looked so much like the Xavier X, like I, I, and I, and since Marvel doesn't really do random stuff, like I didn't know if it was a thing. I didn't really, uh, I didn't really, I, I looked around. I didn't see anything on it. Um, nope. No, none of the, none of the, here are the 45 Easter eggs you missed in this episode. They talked about it. So. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like yeah. I, it's fine. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was pretty good. I, I, I thought the episode was all right. Um, you know, it's still a good show. I'm looking forward to the next one. Um, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Cool. All right. Let us do the Patreon shout outs and roll into the after show. Phil, you have a bit in this? I see it. Thank you to Brantley Harris, Brian Kurtz, Chris Steele, Kubano, Curtis Y. Takahashi, Eric Mengi, JT Evans, Jared Rasher. Jen Pixelscapes Gagney and Jim Fitzpatrick. And thank you to everyone for listening tonight. Yeah, if you're uh, free on Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. the Queen's time, come join us live on Twitch where you can chat with the other listeners in the ever awesome chat room for life and ask us the occasional question. If you cannot make the live show, check out our podcast each week. Where do you get your podcasts? 
Take a listen to some of the other shows in the Mr. Mark Network, such as Mastering Dungeon, Stonestone Obsidian, the FM Gamers, Pan of Talking Games, the Gnomecast, Jangu Hustle, the Lounge, Lord's Experience, and back episodes of She's a Too Freaky. You can and should also check out our sibling podcasts, Tabletop Bellhop, The Knights of the Night, and the always amazing Gaming and BS. Before you unleash your fourth universe uh, threatening bad guy onto your campaign, um, reach out to us. Hit us up on email at mmp at misdirectedmark.com. Check us out on Twitter. The show in the network is at misdirectedmark. He's Robert M. Everson. He's Jim Gerrymander. And I am DNA Phil. If you like what we do here and on the other shows in the Misdirected Mark Network, you can support our Patreon campaigns. MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games are at patreon.com slash MMP. Zhangu Hustle is at patreon.com slash Zhangu Hustle. And Bonus Experience is at patreon.com slash bonus experience. Patrons of MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games get access to the after show, pre-production show notes, musical parodies, the Bamboo Lounge, and other special releases. This has been a Mr. Mark production. The media arm of Encoded Designs. Mic drop. We out.